New City Church in downtown Phoenix reaches more than 2,000 students, young professionals, and families each week. In 2011, Dr. Brian Kruckenberg left a law career to become the lead pastor of this growing urban church. He has a passion to teach the Bible and a heart to lead a church that intersects with the culture around it. Welcome, Brian. Thank you for having me. It's my honor to be here. For those at the other locations and watching online, uh, welcome. And again, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Jamie, I got to, I've gotten to know him a little bit better over the last few years. The first time I met Jamie, I was an aspiring church planter. I was in a room with a bunch of pastors and Jamie was teaching us and I was honestly quite intimidated because he is a brilliant, brilliant man. And I thought maybe I shouldn't be planting a church. But what I've come to grow and love about Jamie is that he's a great person and he loves Jesus and he's sincere and he's a great leader. And so it's an honor to be filling uh, his pulpit up here this morning. I do know uh, Tom Schrader was here last weekend and uh, Tom is a friend of mine as well. So I have some very big shoes to fill. And so we'll see uh, how that goes this morning. The first time I stepped foot on this campus was about seven years ago. And my son, who's 13 at the time, or 13 now, was seven or six at the time. And we came in and we went over to the venue. And if I'm being honest, there was a young worship leader there that I was going to think about stealing for our church plant, um, for the kingdom, of course, right? And so we, we were sitting there before the service started and my son had gotten some donut holes and he was sitting next to me and he looks up at me with all seriousness and says, Dad, are we going to buy this church? <laughs> son, it's not quite in the budget. So here I am getting to speak at this church and today I'd like to share with you a message that really God put on my heart before we planted New City Church, but really it's the, the heart behind this message that fuels what we do, certainly fuels my life. The message today comes from Deuteronomy chapter one, and so if you have a Bible and like to open up to Deuteronomy chapter one, you can do so now. Deuteronomy, of course, is in the Old Testament, towards the very beginning, so pretty easy to find in our Bibles. Now, if you've not read this before, or even if you have, let me refresh your memory just a little bit. Uh, this is Moses uh, on the plains of Moab talking to God's people as they prepare to enter the promised land. And what he's doing is reminding them of who they are as God's people, where they've been, and he starts Deuteronomy, and he reminds them of probably one of the darkest periods in the history of the people of Israel. And we'll, we'll look back here and see what Moses was teaching them. Now, I'm going to read, initially at least, from the New Living Translation. So, Please, I apologize up front. I do typically teach from the ESV or NASB. 
But when I read this so many years ago, I was reading in the NLT by chance or by God's provision, when this passage struck me in a way that it had never struck me before. Let me read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter one, beginning in verse one. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah, opposite Suf between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab or Dizahab. Now I'm still working on pronouncing these properly, okay? And, and this isn't the part that struck me. But this is, verse two. Normally, it is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. But 40 years later, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel. That stopped me in my tracks when I read that. I thought, wait a minute. This was an 11 day journey? from where they were at Mount Sinai to the edge of the promised land, 11 days. And so on day 12, that's when the battle for this land should have begun, right? That's where God had told them to go. God had called them there. God had said, I'm giving you this land, now go. And they get to the edge of the promised land and they don't enter. Instead of entering on day 12, they entered on approximately day 14,600. 40 years times 365 days by my calculation. And I thought to myself, wow, I, I wanna be a day 12 type person. Like when God says go, and he, and he gives you a vision, he gives you a mission, he gives you something he, he would like to see happen in your life, do you want to move with God or do you want to doubt and rebel and revolt against what God calls you to? I thought to myself, 40 years represents half a lifetime if God's generous to us. And I thought, I don't want to look back in 40 years and think, what if? Now, some of us in this room don't have 40 years left. I may have one day left, who knows? But if we have air in our lungs, God still has something he wants us to do. And I don't know about you, but I would rather experience God's promises as he gives them versus rejecting what God has said he would do. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through most of this passage in Deuteronomy chapter one. We won't get to all of it, but we can learn from the people of Israel learn from their story, and how we might not apply what they did to our own lives, but rather listen to the voice of God, heed his promises, and trust him. This is what it says in verse six. The Lord our God spoke to us at Aram, saying, you have stayed long enough out this mountain. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country, and in the lowland, and in the Negev, and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Okay, I don't know about you, but 
I'm a map person. I'm surprised I haven't wrecked my car looking down at a map because I love to know where I'm at and my surroundings. And so I have a map for us, those things that you never look at at the back of your Bible because I think it helps to create context and, and put ourselves into this story. I remind people at New City all the time, the Bible is about real people experiencing real feelings at real places in real times. And so let's go to the map right here. You'll see this red line is what marks the journey from uh, Egypt, and then down to the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula. That's Mount Sinai. They were there for approximately one year. God gave Moses the law, and they constructed the tabernacle, and God said, it's time to go. You've stayed here long enough. And so they began their journey up towards Kadesh Barnea there. And then you see a gigantic U-turn when they get to the edge of the promised land. That's the U-turn we're trying to avoid today. God clearly told them, you've stayed here long enough at this mountain. I've accomplished, I've done what I needed to do, I've spoke to you, I've given you what I need to give you. Now it's time to go. I wonder, today. Where might God be saying to you, you've stayed long enough? Where have you been for too long? And, and, and now listen, by where have you been too long, where have you stayed too long, God might be calling you to stay because you want to run. But where have you been for too long? Is it the same habits, the same spending habits? You have the same debt, or it's getting worse. You have the same relationship with God. You have the same strained relationships with your spouse or with others that God has given you a vision for. Why are you still there? Why are we still there? See, friends, God is a God of movement. God doesn't look at you and go, oh, you're good. <laughs> you got it all figured out. No, God wants to do something new in us, doesn't he? God loves us right where we are. He meets you no matter how messed up your life might be. And he says, I love you right where you are, but I love you too much to leave you there. Think about it. Think about the woman caught in adultery. God loved her, didn't he? Jesus Christ showed her grace and showed her mercy, met her right where she was, and then before he leaves her presence, he says what? Now go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. God has something he wants for us. He wants to take us places, and by that, don't just think physical places like we get to see through this illustration of the promised land, but spiritually, he wants to grow us. He wants to mature us, mature us. He wants to drive our faith deeper. He has a different aspect of your faith walk that he wants to develop because he's a God of movement. And yet movement is scary, isn't it? And that's what we see here because these Israelites weren't willing participants in the plan of God. Moses, though, was trying to encourage them and again, now in Deuteronomy, he's looking back and he says, this is what happened. This is what I said to these people. See, I have placed the land before you. 
go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to them, and to their descendants after them. Now, this is a key point here, and I think it's where the Israelites get off track. Because this promise, very clearly, as we see in this passage here, is a historical promise. It's rooted in the covenant that God made with Abraham. And so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and on down the line, 400 years, these people had been hearing this, this promise. They began to think, as I think we do too, that this faith journey, our salvation, our relationship with God is about us. And yeah, it is a little bit, right? I mean, God does transform us. But God transforms you and saves you for the good of others. It's not about you. It's not about me primarily. And in our Western, individualistic, American ears, that's hard to remember. It isn't about us. God said, I've been given this promise for a long time. And these people were just blessed enough God has set their lives to exist at this point in time where they actually were going to experience this promise that God had been given. But it wasn't about, it wasn't about them. It's our lives in the service of others. That's what ministry is. Now, it doesn't mean that if you have a desire to do something significant with your life, that that's a bad desire. You were created in the image of God. You were created to create. You were, cre you were created uh, for great things in the context of what God wants to do in your life. Dallas Willard writes about this and talks about egotism, self-centeredness, uh, versus significance. Listen to what Willard says. Unlike egotism, the, divine, the drive to significance is a simple extension of the creative impulse of God that gave us being. It is not filtered through self-consciousness any more than is our lunge to catch a package falling from someone's hand. It is outwardly directed to the good to be done. We were built to count as water is made to run downhill. We are placed in a specific context to count in ways no one else does. That is our destiny. What he's saying here is there's no other you that's been before that's coming after. You are unique. God's put you in a unique context, a unique home, a unique apartment, in a unique classroom, and a unique business. And yet at the same time, you're part of something much greater. And, and that's a tension that we hold as Christians. We should desire to, be, to do something that no one else can do in the context of the greater all movement of God or the greater overall movement of God. I, I wrote it this way. In summary, when the desire or need for significance becomes the conscious pursuit of our lives, we are in grave danger of no longer living for others, but simply for our own name and fame. I remind people all the time at our church that God was at the corner of Central and Culver in downtown Phoenix long before New City Church got there. <laughs> and God is using us in, in great ways. But we are part of God's greater story. 
And unless Jesus comes back, God's going to be in downtown Phoenix long after we're gone. And that's okay. And if we can realize that, you see, I think that's when we can trust God because if we get too self-focused, too self about us, we're less likely to move with God because it might cost us something. And it will cost us something. Verse 19, we'll continue. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw, all the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. I remember reading this as I, as I began to sort of sketch out ideas that I felt like God was showing me through this passage. And I, and I underlined that great and t- terrifying wilderness that you saw, and I thought to myself, was there another way to the edge of the promised land that wasn't so great and terrifying? <laughs> like God, wasn't there like a leisurely strolling way to get there, you know? Did you have to take them through the great and terrifying wilderness? And I thought, well, of course he did. Because he was getting them ready for something. He, he knew that this was, this was going to push them and challenge them. And so even on the way to enter into what God had ultimately called them to, even on the way to that, it was great and terrifying. And this is true for us. Now, apply these principles to your own life. It's, it's starting a business. Anybody who's ever started a business can tell you this. The journey even to get to the beginning of the business is great and terrifying, is it not? I work with lots of young people, uh, students. And, and here's, a, here's a conversation, sort of generalized, that, that I hear. You know, God has called me um, to be a medical doctor. And some people have a vision maybe to go overseas and, and do medical missions or be a missionary right here in the Valley of the Sun as an MD. And then they enroll in organic chemistry. <laughs> maybe God's not calling me to be a doctor. Maybe I'll start studying communications and become a pastor, right? Because... The journey to what God calls us to is great and terrifying. Just being a Christian and standing for the things of Christ and living your life for God and choosing to walk the narrow road that Jesus has us walk down can oftentimes in our current present cultural context be terrifying. But I will tell you this quite clearly, if you want to live a life that honors God, there will be a battle. If you want to live a life that honors God, there will be a battle. If you want to live a comfortable life, a sheltered life, a self-centered life, maybe not. But, But certainly life's trials will still come your way. But for those who really want to dig in and say, God, where are you taking me? What do you want to do in my family? What do you want to do with my life? How do you want me to serve in my neighborhood, at my church? Be prepared for the battle. God was trying to build their faith through this journey to the edge of the promised land. I believe he'd already been doing so to this point, and yet they weren't having it. Verse 20, 
I said to you, Moses is saying here, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now, for my grammar geeks out there, we now don't just have a historical promise, which Moses does reaffirm here. We have a present progressive promise. Is giving us. Present progressive means what? It's starting now and it continues into the future. God is with us. The Holy Spirit's with us. We didn't get saved and then God's like, okay. He said, no, Jesus says, I have to go and send the helper. And so we have God with us presently. And he's not leaving us nor forsaking us. He's going with us. They, they needed to hear this. Maybe you need to hear this. And then verse 22. Then all of you came near me and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word, if you have a Bible, circulous word, again, of the way by which we must go up into the cities in which we shall come. Now this passage, I've studied this one more than maybe any other passage in the Bible right here, this verse, because it still kind of confuses me. If you go back in Numbers 13, where Moses is writing about the story as it unfolds, like this journey into the promised land, who does it say, uh, whose idea was it to send the people into the land to spy it out? It says in Numbers 13 that God told them to do this. Right here, it clearly says, then you came to me and said, and so whose idea was this that they go spy it? Was it God's idea or was it their idea? I've read all sorts of commentators on this. Dug as far as I can deep, or dug as far as I can dig. And mostly what I found is everybody's a little confused. And mostly it comes out to, well, this was the people's idea and then God adopted it and endorsed it. That sort of, of a conclusion here. But, but there is this word again here to bring us word again. I don't know exactly what was going on here, but here's what I do know. They knew where to go. They knew what God said. It was crystal clear. Here's the land, here's how you go, here's where it's there. They knew what God had told them. They just didn't like it. Let me translate this for us in 2017. This is the proverbial, I think I just need to pray about this some more. <laughs> when God has clearly spoken. Now, I'm not against prayer, trust me. Pray without ceasing. But here's the deal. Oftentimes, we know what God has called us to because it's clearly revealed in the scripture. It's been clearly affirmed by our friends. It's been prayed over enough. God says, you know what to do. Right, maybe you're in a relationship, you're, you're a single person in a relationship and, and you know that relationship's not honoring God. You don't need to pray about that anymore. God's been pretty clear on it, <laughs> right? See, here, here's what I often hear. Have you ever heard this? Well, I've been praying, but God hasn't answered my prayer. Okay, sometimes that's true, but a lot of times, you know what I found? 
Well, God probably answered the prayer, and his answer was no. Which the last time I checked was a perfectly fine answer to a question. Right, parents? <laughs> you ever get asked anything by your kids, and you say, no? And if your kid said, well, you, you haven't answered my question, you haven't answered my request. Yeah, I clearly have. The answer is no. It's a perfectly good answer. Or not yet. God will often tell us things we don't want to hear. God will challenge us. God will take us from our comfort. He'll remove us from a circumstance, a situation, and put us in places where we have to rely on God. I, I, I would venture a guess if I were to ask you, if you tell me about the time where God was most present in your life, you'd probably say, it was the time when I was most challenged. It was a time when the, challenge, when the trial was the thickest and the deepest. It was a time where I had nothing but God. And the truth of the matter is today, you know what, we have nothing but God. And yet, man, these Israelites had some pretty thick skulls, didn't they? And so they, they go on this, this spying expedition. And here's what happens in verse 25. They took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us, this promise being reaffirmed, yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of this land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Now, let's give them a little grace. Uh, there have been archaeological excavations in this region, and there have been skeletons unearthed that show humans to be seven feet tall. And those were the women. <laughs> I'm not making that up. So no doubt the people were big. No doubt the walls were high, and they were fortified. But, but do you see, even in the language, the people, they were fortified up to heaven. Oh, really? They were, they were that tall, right? It reminds me of my kids, you know, on a long road trip. Dad, how much longer? Oh, about 100 miles. Oh, 1,000 miles. No, 100. All they could see were what? The obstacles. That's all they could see. People are too big. Walls are too high. We can't do this. All they saw, except for, of course, Joshua and Caleb, all they saw were the obstacles and the reasons they could not do it. Think about this. Let's get back into this story. Put yourself into this story. These same people had seen God part the Red Sea, right? Let's take a little quiz here, actually. Right? So God parted the Red Sea. Who sent all the plagues to the Egyptians? Who did that? 
God, say it with me, say it with me, God. Okay, God did that, all right, good, all right. This is, this is gonna be a really easy quiz, okay? <laughs> Who gave the people manna from heaven? Who gave them water from a rock? God did all these things, didn't he? Who do you think they were going to have to rely upon once they got to the promised land? God, isn't that crazy? This is what we do. I've done this so many times. You pray about something, a big decision's coming, uh, and you know, or you're going through something, and you pray about it, and you pray about it, and you pray about it, and then it, you, you get the answer, you start, you start moving into that decision, whatever that looks like for you, and you get into it, and you forget God. You stop praying. This is so vivid for me. When we planted New City Church, we get down there, you know, we moved to downtown Phoenix in, in 2010. And now seven years have gone by since we moved and it's, it's much cooler down there now. Uh, there's high rises going up everywhere. There's people selling their homes in the suburbs, moving downtown into these new condos and lofts everywhere. But about seven years ago, it was um, hipsters and artists, you know, and the under-resourced and those sorts of uh, people. And I remember thinking to myself, I would go to the coffee shops, I'd try to meet people, and I, and I thought, I'm no hipster. I'm a recovering corporate attorney. <laughs> I don't speak this language, right? This, the people are skinnier and more vegan than me, you know? <laughs> I'm, I came out of my house one day, I remember this like it was yesterday, and I got to my sidewalk there, and I thought, Lord, I don't have a clue what to do. This, isn't, this is a dumb idea. This was stupid. What was I thinking? And God had to say, um, Brian, who gave you this vision? And I thought, well, God, it better have been you, <laughs> right? Brian, who brought those people into your life that just randomly gave you checks to resource the beginning of this church? Oh, that was you. Who put these other people in your life to help you build a team and you had no idea who they were until they came into your life seemingly randomly? Oh yeah, God, that was you. So now that you're down here, who do you think you're going to have to rely upon? Oh yeah, God, I think I need to rely upon you. Exactly. You know what I found most times in life is when we say, I can't, you ever said, I can't do it, I can't do this. Most often, I can't is best translated, I won't. It's not that you can't, you just won't. It's not that I can't, I just won't. Now, we can't by ourselves. We can't accomplish what God wants to do in our lives by ourselves. So in one essence, you can't. But with God, you can. Will you? Will you? We must trust, not doubt. Doubt is a very, let me say more clearly, doubt is something we'll all have at times. So we always, we have those dark nights of the soul, those sorts of things. But if you constantly live in a state of doubt, it ultimately leads to rebellion. It, it, it does. We don't wanna follow the paths of the Israelites here and how they kept rejecting God. 
Verse 29, Moses is at his wit's end here. He says, then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. Now, grammar people, this is a future promise now. We've got all bases covered. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by which way you should go. If you visit this story, go back and read even in Numbers 11, and you, you hear very early on when it got a little rough for the Israelites, they were just like, can we just go back to Egypt? I mean, oh, Egypt is so great. Those fish, you know, then there was silks. And let's just, let's just go back to Egypt. Okay, reality check here. What was going on in Egypt? You were slaves. Remember that part? Remember when your, your, your wives were bearing children and many of them would be taken and murdered? Remember the taskmasters giving you so much work that it was not humanly possible to complete and you would be beaten for it. And this is the life that you would like to return to. Isn't this so true for us? God calls us into an uncomfortable space and we have to start giving things up. We have to sacrifice things. Sacrifice, my friends, is the basis of our faith. You understand this, right? It's the gospel. Paul says we're heirs with Christ provided that we suffer with him. And so there will be suffering and there will be sacrifice. And so what can happen to us if we're not careful is we get to that place and you know what we do? We go, we reject what God's trying to do and we go right back to slavery. We go right back to living a life that had us in bondage. You see this very clearly and vividly in people who have struggled with addiction. They, 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 the, the getting out is too hard, so they go back in. It may not be that vivid for you, but where might God be saying, it's time to work on that relationship with your son, with your daughter, with your spouse? Where, where is he pushing you to? And it will cause sacrifice. It might cause a change in your habits. It might change the way you have to spend your money. It might even change the place that you live, the job that you have. There might be sacrifice involved. But God has so much more for us on the other side of that. Now, we don't live in the time of Israel. But we do live in the time the present age of the church, and we have Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, and ultimately as our promised land. You realize that, right? Jesus, for us, represents, or he represents the kingdom of God and all God offers us. And so quite 
Simply, Jesus is a representation of this promise. And putting faith in Jesus and putting faith in him as Lord and Savior will take you saying no to something and yes to Jesus. This is why it, it's really frightening, isn't it, when you come to Christ? Because you're like, what do I have to give up? I don't really want to give up that sin. I kind of like that sin. It's fun most of the time. And yet you know you're in bondage. And Jesus is the ultimate person who sets us free from slavery. He's the true bread from heaven, right? That's what he calls himself. He's the true water. You drink from the fountain of Christ and you'll never thirst. And you wanna talk about sacrifice. God was willing to sacrifice his own son. Jesus was willing to walk the difficult road to the cross to freely give his life and sacrifice for you. Come to Jesus, experience the promised land. And as he calls you into different things, realize he will never leave you nor forsake you. He was there past, present, and future. Receive Jesus, receive your promise, and see where that takes you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time we've had together. I pray, Lord, that you might use this word in the hearts of men, women, and children, that you might transform, you might touch a life. God, we know that when your word goes out, it, it never returns void, and so, God, by faith, I'm asking for that. Holy Spirit, that you would apply this, this word uh, to the hearts and the minds of those who hear it, that it would fall on good soil, that the enemy would not be able to snatch it, and that the cares of this world would not grow up as weeds around it to snuff it out. But God, let your word have its intended purpose to flourish and transform. In Jesus' name. Amen.